Hello. Oh, yes. Oh, there we are. All right. Yeah. Ah. He put it on mute, and I'm, I'm talking into it. I know good and well it's not going to make any sound that way, but all right, I'm going to start this maybe in a little bit different way tonight. God has written an ethical standard for believers to live by. It's in the, it's in the Word. He wants us to live by faith. Now, here's what I, I want to get across to you. If your goal in life is to get to heaven and there's not one thing you can do to earn it and it's already been done for you, then what's the point of doing anything else? Once you've got your ticket, you're in. You follow where I'm coming from? If it's going to heaven, it's what you're about. That's why I've tried to share with you. That's not what it's about. Going to heaven is a dressing room to prepare you for a wedding that will get you into the marriage of the Lord Jesus Christ where you will work in the kingdom of God. You follow where I'm coming from? And the way you live here determines how you will work in the kingdom of God. Not whether you'll get into the kingdom of God, but how you work when you get into the kingdom of God. Everybody follow what I'm saying? Because Jesus is not building a people he can get to heaven. He's building a godly people who will be like him and live forever in an eternal kingdom. You follow where we're coming from? Consequently, you can't be just simply a, quote, saved person. You have to be born again. That's the people he's taking with him. He's not taking anyone else. He's not taking people who are um, uh, gliding along through life. He's taking people who are believing him, trusting. Let, let, me, let me put it another way. He was bringing Israel out of bondage into a promised land. What were they going to do when they got to the promised land? Play harps all day? Sit on clouds? What were they going to do when they got there? They're going to work. When they got there, they're going to fight their way in, and then once they get it, they're going to plow and grow, and they're going to do work. Everybody follow where I'm coming? But it's not their work that's going to provide the increase. It's God that's going to provide the increase. Are you, are you tracking with me here okay? It's God that's going to provide the increase. They're going to learn to do their work in Him, resting in Him. Are you, are you with me? They are going to be resting in him while he works through them to get productive lives going. Everybody with me? That's why he gives us rules to follow. Because it's those rules to follow that qualify what part of the land you're going to inherit, if I can say it that way. 
the parables he gave. Man's got five talents, makes five more, inherit the kingdom, buddy. Uh, another time he tells another guy, okay, so you, you took your th three talents or whatever it was and you made three more, uh, then you're going to rule over six cities. Another guy brings one, he gets one. You're going to rule over two cities. There, if, there, if you're looking for equity, Jesus is not your man. You follow me? He's not into equity. The equity part was already done. He saved everybody the same way. That's equity. If you're looking for equality, once again, he may not be your man. Because some do more than others. And do you remember the guy that had five talents and he made five more? Remember the guy that buried his? What happened to the buried talent? It's, it's so that he could have equity, it was given to the guy that had two talents and made four, right? No. It's given to the guy that was diligent, took his five, made five more. He's 11. Matter of fact, they even complained about that. Hey, he's already got 10. Jesus said, yeah, I do what I want to do. He showed he could do it. I'm giving him more. Everybody see where I'm coming from? That's why he's making a new people. It, it's not so you can go to heaven. It, it's not just about his mercy and grace to take you and, and forgive you for all your mess. No, he's not taking it. That, that would be taking the children of Israel out of Egypt and leaving them in the desert. That wasn't the goal. The goal was the promised land. And that's his goal for you is the promised land. You follow it? So he's not just taking you out of the sin you were in and letting you wander around in, in the desert and then die and go to heaven. No, he's after you getting to the promised land. And it's a full productive promised land. You're not eating manna anymore. You're eating real food. Real food that's land of flowing milk and honey and that's got great chow to it. You understand where I'm coming from? So he's got to do something to you to get you ready to go into that kingdom. And that's what I want to look at tonight. Galatians 2.20 had said, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's a different kind of life. That's an exchanged life. That's a life that is no longer simply, um, well, I believe the, the right things because I believe the right things. I'm going to heaven anyway. It doesn't matter how I live. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because unless you understand the principles behind this, you're not really born again. That's what you're going to have to experience the principle that's behind it, Okay. We're, we're a people who, who believe if you know the right things and say the right things, you're bound to get into the right place. That's not true, kids. That's not true. It's not about knowing and saying. It's about being. Are you born again? Not do you know what's supposed to happen if you're born again. Are you born again? Is that something you know for a fact? Well, tonight, let's, let's look at two things. The the. Gospel contains two parts to it. 
given that you have the Son of God, it has to be a perfect person here. That's the only one who could do that. The Son of God, the perfect person. Two things happen to him. He died and he rose again. Two things have to happen with you. You've got to die and rise again. So the gospel has the two stages to it. The death of Christ that's applied to you so that you die. And the resurrection that's, a Christ that's applied to you so that you live. Everybody see where I'm at? That puts you in a position. But it doesn't put you in a condition. The position is that you're in Christ. The condition goes up and down every day. Some days I'm red hot for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some days I couldn't be colder. You, you follow where I'm at? So it goes up and down. My position never changes. I'm always in Christ. He's the one that did that. But my condition could make me look like anything but a believer. It could make me look like a great saint. It's just going to go up and down all the time. So the conditions, and that condition could have me all affected in the way I think. Today, I really feel saved. I had answers to prayer. I, I had uh, a good study time. I had good conversations with people. I really feel saved today. Tomorrow I get up. I'm not feeling real whoopy, and I have a few crosswords with Char, and I get here already feeling like, I had crosswords with Char. I feel bad about that. So I said, Al, you're just plain stupid. That's what the problem is. Now I'm, I'm on with Al. I crossed Al. I'm, I'm saying, where's Lashley? She should be answering the phone. What's, what's going on? What's oh, no, Dave's coming too. Okay? You, you understand where I'm coming from? I don't really feel saved at that point. When did my position change? Not at all. Not at all. Because I didn't create my position. I did create my condition. I did respond in Al, if you're going to try to, to get, all right, I'll go ahead and hear your, hear your question. They all, they all died, except their kids. Their kids get another opportunity. Let's see how you do with faith. Now, if you, if you follow where I'm coming from, that's why it's so important that you have been through the two stages. You did die, and you understand what that means, and you were raised again, and you understand what that means. Because it's in this new phase of being born again that you begin to do the work that he called you to do, and it's restful work. I know that's, a, that's an oxymoron, but it's not, because it's not your efforts that are accomplishing anything. It's him working through you that's accomplishing something. You cannot do it without him. That's why I wanted you to look at the green letters, because the green letters Focus on that. Uh, with, without looking at those things, it's easy enough just to slide through Christianity. 
if you can make it through the, the church services once a week, and you can, you're a relatively good person. You're not doing drugs by any regular t- uh, use. And even with your, your drinking, you're relatively moderate with it. And, you, you know, and you're, not, you're not ugly. You don't say ugly things to people all the time. You're a relatively nice person. You're on your way to heaven. And I just want you to know that's not what he's after. He's after a people who are going to share eternity with him. And in order for them to share eternity with him, they have to be just like him. So that means getting rid of a lot of junk and picking up some new habits that are coming from him. So let's just talk about this. Let's talk about the dead side of this, shall we? Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to look into these great words tonight. We ask in the name of Jesus that you guide us through them and help us understand the concepts we're looking at. And I'm going to thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 49 in the complete green letters. Uh, this is the one chapter I, I disagreed with him about. Uh, and it's only over his treatment of the old man. And in the first uh, three paragraphs, he, he does some things I don't, I don't quite understand. He says that the old man's crucified but not slain. I don't even know what that means, but not slain. If, if you're crucified, you're done. You're, there's not more to do. You're, you're not hanging there determining to, to do something to somebody else. I don't know if he was just trying to say that the old man is still hanging around and creating problems in us. No, he's not. Uh, I, I want to I make sure that we eliminate them for that from our thoughts. The old man is dead. Not critically ill. Not almost dead, like Princess Bride says. No, he's dead. And let's take a look at that. The meaning of dead in the Bible. Death does not mean annihilation or cessation of existence. You don't stop existing. When you die, you don't stop existing. Look, look at, consider this with me. Number one, there could be no resurrection if death was an annihilation and cessation of existence. If you're gone, there's not going to be a resurrection of that. You're not gone. You're not annihilated. You didn't cease to exist. It's easy to see how one might think of death as annihilation since the person who died is no longer present with us in this realm and he cannot be reached. My buddy Ron Smith uh, passed away. He's gone. His spirit left his body. I can't get in touch with him. I, I, I could call him before. I can't call him now. I, I can't do anything with him now. He's been removed from my presence, but he still exists someplace. Okay? The Bible is clear that God is the God of the living and the dead when speaking of him being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all who were dead at the time this was stated. So he says, have you not read, Jesus says, have you not read that, of, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That means they're still alive. They're not in our realm, but they are very much still alive. He knows who they are. Matter of fact, you remember that uh, the poor man, when he died, he was carried to Abraham's bosom. So he's getting to, to lay on Abraham's chest as his comfort. All right? <clears throat> Number four, 
If death meant annihilation, then hell is not eternal torment and heaven is not eternal life. So if, if when you die, you cease to exist, there isn't a heaven. There, there isn't a, a hell. So I guess John Lennon would be right. Except you do keep going on living. All right. If death meant annihilation, then Christ could not have risen from the dead. If when Christ died on the cross, he ceased to exist, he couldn't have risen from the dead. He's not there to be there anymore. Um, he could not have risen from the dead, but until his resurrection, he was no longer in the realm occupied by the disciples, and his other followers were even enemies. He was no longer an influence in the realm of earth, but he was still very much alive elsewhere. After his resurrection, he's not only an influence on earth again, but in the realm of glory in which, the God, which God dwells. Um, so dead means to be separated from the current realm. That's what dead means. All right? Dead means to be moved to another realm of existence in a parallel setting. We're not alone, nor is earth the only realm in which beings are living and thriving. There is another realm. Uh, you can call it a multiverse, you can call it a parallel universe, you can call it by whatever name that is convenient for you, and I'm sure we could have a good discussion on that. But here's the point. There are beings that live in the spiritual realm I can't see, but they're there, living there very much. There are beings that are living uh, a, a, apart from that realm, uh, the, the people who have departed. I don't know where Hades is found. I don't know where paradise is found. I do now. Paradise is in the presence of the Lord. Uh, there, there, there's an existence going on all around that I can't see and don't know anything about it. Neither can I get in touch with it. All right? So all I'm trying to simply say is there are other universes going on. Death means separated from in such a way that the thing which was once living in that realm is no longer influencing or in any way affecting the realm in which it once lived. Now, it, it, it is true that when my father passed away, he, he's gone from my realm. But I lived with him for a number of years. And his memory is very much in, in my being. And there are times when somebody can crack out Old Spice aftershave, and I know to look for my dad. How did dad get in here? You know, you know what I'm saying? Because once that was cracked out, or a certain kind of laugh, and I can say, that was dad. But my dad's not touchable to me now. I'll see him again, but i got to get to another realm. I'm going to be separated from this one to get to that one. You, you follow where I'm at? So there are those things that memory still resides in me. Hold on to that thought because that has something to do with the old man. Okay? So that the, the fact that uh, I can have those memories and remember the things. As a matter of fact, I can find myself doing things the way Dad did them. Or I can find myself doing things the way Mom did them. Uh, or, uh, you know, I, there are times when, when uh, the family will laugh just a minute and somebody will look and say, that was a Christopher look right there. That look in your face was a Christopher look. I, that, ooh, that was creepy, you know? Because you still have the memory. But they're not here because of death. It was a separation, all right? When the old man dies, 
He's separated from us. But you still have a memory. You still know what it's like to do the way. Well, let's just look at this. When Christ is crucified, he's dead to his father and dead to the world. Okay? Um, that, that was the biggie. Because death is separation, the very fact that Christ was going to have to be separated from his dad when they had never been separated before, but the, by the fact that he took on human flesh and risked dying, he's going to be separated from his dad. But he's also going to be separated from the very people his dad gave him to be his friends. So he can't be around the apostles, and he's been separated from his dad. You can hear him cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knows dad had to turn his back on him. That was a separation. That was death. That's where he was experiencing our death. You follow me? That's where he was experiencing a separation from God in our place. He was separated from the Father just as we should have been if we hadn't trusted Christ. Because what's eternal death? It's to be separated from God for eternity. That's death. And Jesus experienced that for us. All right, let me go on a little further. He is separated from his Father. He's bearing the sins of the world. He's separated from his disciples and his influence in this world. He's nailed to the cross and is suffering. He can do no more preaching, teaching. He's suffering. He's, he's crying out now. He's in pain. His spirit will be separated from his body. He will die. That is the point of crucifixion. Remember what he said when he died? He said, into thy hands I give my spirit. So he gave up his spirit. That was the point of death, where spirit separated from the body. All right. Um, when the old man is crucified uh, with Christ, he is dead. And that's, that's what I wanted to get across, because I didn't understand if the author was simply saying, uh, he's not, the old man's not uh, annihilated. I, I, death doesn't mean that anyway. So when the old man's crucified, he's not just hanging on a cross. He's dead. When, when we died, when Christ died and we die with Christ, we're dead to what we were. That's what we have to reckon on. That's why we've been talking about that reckoning in 6 and 7, and you, I think you did one on the self. So that's what we've been talking about, to reckon that to be true. That is what happened. It didn't happen in your realm, something that you see. You, I mean, you didn't bleed and die with Christ on the cross. But in another realm, that is in the presence of Almighty God, you died to what you were. You were dead in sins and trespasses, and he took your, he, he separated you from that and brought you into his presence. That's a big deal. All right. He will be separated from the disciples, but the memory of his teaching and life will remain with the disciples when they stop to think of it. The training he left with them will be in their souls and spirits. They will remember what it's like when Jesus fed 5,000 people, how they gathered up baskets. They'll remember how Jesus taught, and they're going to teach the same way that Jesus did. Okay? All that training was left with them. He will make that training realized by the coming of the Holy Spirit in their lives to prompt them, urge them, enlighten them, provide opportunity for them, even give them the voice to speak his words from the memory he's leaving with them. 
with his resurrection, it says Jesus told us that when he leaves, he's sending the Spirit. So the Spirit of Jesus Christ is what enlivens the new man in us. The Spirit's going to create a new person in us, and that's going to enliven things. You're going to have the mind of Christ. It's going to be Christ who takes up life in you. All right? Uh, it is by his resurrection that he can be with them as he promised. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you forever, even to the end of this age. All right, it's in that resurrection that he can be with them. It's because of the resurrection. Uh, I want to remind you this. The old man is not and will not be resurrected. There is no promised resurrection for the old man. When the old man is dead, the old man is removed from you, and there won't be a resurrection of him. So if that's what you're thinking is going on, that the old man's still alive in me, no, he is not. If you are sinning, and you will, I will, we all will, it's not because the old man has been revived in us. It's because the memory, habituated practices that he taught us and we learned have, are resonant with us. You've got them, just like I have memories of Dad, just like you and, and Christopher and, and any other of the, the lost ones they have. They, we have their memory, and we know how to do things. Matter of fact, uh, my, my um, uh, Allie the other day said, ooh, I want to make noodles like Grandma does or like, like Mamma did. And so she gets the recipe, but there's just, I don't know whether it's the spoon that the woman used or the pan that the woman used, but they can't taste exactly the same. Now, one of her daughters has mastered it, and she's not telling anybody how she did it. But when it comes to Thanksgiving, those chicken and noodles are stirred in that great big pot, and they take them out and they go, oh, Mamma's noodles. Mamma's not alive. She's gone from this realm. But somebody practiced the habits that Mamma did, and they've got this beautiful pot of noodles. Everybody see where I'm coming from? So what the old man did with you, you know how to do. You don't have to be taught that. You know how to do that one. But he's not here anymore. He's gone. Everybody with me? Uh-huh. Yes. What you're sharing tonight seems to maybe I'm just overthinking this, but it seems like to me like if the old man is no longer exists, how can I put on how can I put him off if he doesn't exist? Same way I could do with the memory of my dad. If I quit doing what I learned from my dad, then I've put him off. You see what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> it's coming. But that's how, that's how you do it. Because you, what you're doing, um, if my daughter said, I'm not even going to be concerned about making those noodles like my grandma did. She never made noodles again. 
she would have put off mamma. Does that, does that make sense? Because mamma exists in her in a memory, not in a reality. Yeah. That I have to put him off and put on these spiritual ideas and actions. So it almost goes contradictory to what. Yeah. yeah. And if, if, if that came across that way, then I apologize because that's not the way. What it, what it was was you have the habits of the old man. That's what's left with you. And what you're going to do now, because they are a, a default. You don't even have to work at it. It defaults to that. Uh, you get tired or you, you don't want to live for Jesus right now. You'll default to the habits of the old man. And what he's telling you is put those stinking habits off and replace them with it. Uh, he uses uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Stop stealing. So put off that old habit you had with that and go to work. Earn an income. And now here's, here's the next step. I want you to go put on one more thing. Start giving. Where before you were taking. Now, put that old habit off and put this one on. I'm working and now I'm going to give. Does that, does that make sense? All right. Yes. And notice, and correct me if I'm, if I'm overthinking this, in Romans 7, when Paul's talking about the struggle he's having, you know, he's, he never says, you know, when he, when he wants to do good, but he doesn't, he does that which he doesn't want to do. He never says it's the old man making him do that, but he refers to it as evil that is causing him. Yeah. On the, the last page of your notes here, let's just turn over there just a minute. Cause there, um, I know when we talk about these things, it, sometimes I, I don't have, enough Bible with it when I want to have a Bible. Turn to the, um, the second to last page. It's one at, at the top. It says, who loved me and gave himself for me. And look at Romans seven seventeen. He says, but now it is no longer I who do it, but what? But sin who dwells in me, that's the habits of that old man. They're still residing. Exactly. exactly. Man's gone, but the habits are there. All right? Look at Romans 7.20. Now, if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, because the I has been born again. I want to do something else. Okay? But sin that dwells in me. That's the habits of that old man. I, I don't, I, I've got them. I'm, I'm not going to come up with some a new habit, new sinful habit. The old man has given me the ones I want to work with. I, you know, I think I've said before, and I'll say it again. I'm, I am never tempted with cigar smoking. It, it just doesn't tempt me. I, it, it just burns the tar out of my, my tongue. I can't imagine why anybody want to snort that thing. It's just, well, anyway. But chocolate, 
which I did eat in massive quantities, that, my dear, would tempt me. And that's the old man. <laughs> Just remember this. Hershey's with almonds is a deed of the old man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, no, I, it's, it's quite a while. We're gonna, we'll, get, we'll get to them in just a minute there, too. Um, the old man is crucified. I started asking questions as we're going through this. So what is the old man? What's, what's, die, what's he crucifying? If he's killing something, what's he crucifying, okay? The old man is not our personality. Now, our personality is a set of qualities created by God that makes us different from others. It's shaped by our environment, experiences, and desires. It forms our reactions to any stimulus. The old man taints and perverts the way our personality looks at things. So it's not your personality. Your personality was made by Almighty God. You'll have people talk about, uh, this person's an otter, or this person's a golden retriever, or this one's a lion, or this one's a beaver. All they're doing is taking a look at personality traits. You follow where I'm coming from? Those things are traits. Uh, what's some of the, uh, there's another whole. Yeah, that's, that's got a set of them. And then the, the way it was a couple of centuries ago was that uh, you were, san- yes, salmon, choleric, and all, all that. That was simply people observing that there are certain personality traits that exist among people. Where do they get those? It's not just the culture. That comes when God delights in knitting you in the womb of your mother, and he is creating you a certain set of personality traits that you are going to react to. When your babies are born, they, they do not act the same. They each one have certain personality traits that you're, you're thinking, how that young could they do that? How could they be expressing anything? They've not had experience enough to let the culture shape that. The culture will shape it. But it's going to shape it based on what they already have. The culture doesn't create a personality the person's responding with their personality to the environment that's around them, okay? That's not the old man. That, that can, uh, you're, you're going to retain your personality. The old man's influencing it, okay? But you're going to retain it. Number two, the old man is not our self. Our self is created out of the perceptions, emotions, experiences we have in life that determines the level we will thrive or survive around others. That is how we develop our values. These experiences combined with my desires create an image that, of me that aligns me in order of importance to other people. I look around and I say, uh, what am I in relationship to Larry? How, how, do, how do I stack, rack and stack with Larry? Uh, I'm, I'm going to look at his personality and I'm going to ask the same thing about Gordon. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out where I am. That's myself. That's not the old man. The old man is going to influence the self. The old man in me might look and say, no, sir, you're going to be aggressive. You can't, people can't treat you that way. They're not going to treat you that way. Okay, so it's going to look like myself is just an aggressive thing. But it's because of the old man's influence in me that's telling me, be, agir- be assertive, be aggressive here. You can't let people walk over you. And, and others will be saying, 
I don't want to be assertive. I don't like that. And people will walk over. Okay. The old man is not the ego. The ego is the esteem and value I place on myself that determines how assertive I will be when my values are threatened. I, I will determine for myself, do, do I want to be somebody who speaks out in a situation? Well, sometimes my personality is going to affect that. Sometimes the situations are going to affect that and stuff. But that's not the old man. The old man affects the view of my self-esteem. The old man is not our spirit. Our spirit is a non-material part of us, or me, created by God and animating who I am as a living being. The spirit is God's gift to me that animates who I am. That's not the old man. It is God's life in me that gives me a sense of who God is and a desire to be with him. It is the part of me that communicates with God. It is like God's spirit. It contains my personality. My spirit, when I am born, is already disconnected from a relationship and fellowship with God. It is dead, according to the word of God, separated in sins and trespasses from God. If it is not reconciled, born again, renewed, transformed back to God, I will be eternally separated from God. It's that spirit. That's what animates you. That's not the old man. The old man is not my soul. Like the spirit, it is non-material and may even be a subset of the spirit. The soul is the translator of the spirit and the body. It is what allows us to understand and communicate with one another. The body takes in physical evidence. So my eyes, all my senses take in physical evidence. But that physical evidence doesn't tell me what this thing is that I'm looking at unless I've seen something like that before. If I've seen something that has four legs and a, and a round top to it, I could say it's a stool, it's a chair, it's whatever else, because I have seen them before. All right? And my, my soul then is what tells me what that is. The soul gives evidence and its perceived definition to the spirit, which gives it meaning. The soul is inseparable from the spirit, and all parts of the understanding is its function. It uses all the above. It uses personality. It uses self. It uses ego. That soul is the interpreter. Um, you know, I, I go to speak in Nepal. I don't know Nepalese. I can't speak Nepalese. I've got to have a translator there who takes my words. That makes the people I'm talking to now understand. That's what it is with your, with your soul. Your, your, your body is taking in information. It doesn't know what to do with that information. It brings it to the soul. The soul gives it a definition and an understanding. And then the soul speaks to the spirit and says, where does that come from? And the spirit then determines what, whether that's from God or wherever it's from. Does that make, does that make any sense to you? The spirit's what communicates with God. The soul is what communicates with the spirit and the body. And the soul, well, they're all integrated together, I guess I should say. Um, the old man is that twist, bent, perversion of God's truth that is attached to us due to the fall. It is the iniquity that is visited on us all from our parents and ancestors. It confounds the message coming from God so that it cannot be heard unless some grace of God intervenes. It is not a spirit or in any other material creation of God so that it has its own separate identity. 
It is a rebellion against God as one's authority. It perverts the view of the personality for self-preservation. It twists the ego to think too highly of itself. It interacts with the body in a selfish manner to create what is known as the flesh. Because its thought is, on, is only not like God, evil, continuously, it creates habituated sin in our body. It captures the self and the ego for pride, arrogance, rebellion to authority and instruction, creating a human in rebellion to God. This is the way of the flesh, the law of sin and death. So it's a bent, it's a twist in us that is given to us, is visited by the Father. He says, I visit the iniquity of the fathers unto the children of the third and the fourth generation. I've, I've kind of looked at it like this, and this is, this is n- not really uh, uh, an accurate illustration, but um, this is cancer, and this is my spirit. When, this, when I am born, this is what's happening to me. There's a personality in here that God wants to use. There's a personality that can be used. There's a self in here that can be used. There is a, but this thing is twisting it and bending it so that now I can't even see what I need to see. I, I can't respond to what I need to respond to. God's taking this old man and crucifying it, removing it from me to recreate in me now a person that is like God. You say, how are you? Are you crazy? No, it's like God. Why? Because it's born of God. It's a child of God. It's going to be a son of God. Is, is, that, is that clear? This, this old man is a twist. It's a perversion. It's the rebellion. It's Adam's twist on things. When Christ is crucified, that rascal is crucified with it. He's, he's gone with it. That rascal was my identity because I was identified with it. Once that's gone, my identity can now change. You see, when this was with me before, I was a child of wrath, and there's nothing I could do about it. I can't pull it off. I can't do anything about it. It is a part of me because it's born with me. But when Christ comes and he crucifies that rascal and puts it over here, I'm now free, and I'm standing free, and I'm supposed to live as one who is free of that old man. He is not an active force in me anymore. You don't automatically live doing what God wants you to do. Bingo. You have to be recreated in Him. Yes. And that's what the resurrection's about. With the resurrection now comes a whole new change. I am now in Christ. Everything's changed in me. This one had the stain and rot of all the ungodly sin and rebellion against God. This one is full of holiness. It's Christ. So it's no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives in me. And I'm not living by the faith in the Son of God. I'm living by the faith of the Son of God. It's His faith that's operating in me. His faith, positionally and conditionally, is always right on. My faith, conditionally, up and down, up and down, up and down. If Jesus comes while it's down, will I get to be with him? Because this is up always, yes. Yes, I will. Because it's his faith I'm living. It's his life I'm living. Do you understand that when he was giving me this new life, he is passing on to me joy and faith and love and peace and patience, his. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to create those things in me. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's his. And he's imparting it to me so that I have all of Christ's joy if I use it. I still got all of Christ's joys, even if I don't use it. You follow me? It's always available because Christ is living in me. That's why it's so important. This guy, I have to reckon as crucified. Jesus says it's true. I have to look at it and say, I'm done with that. That doesn't affect me at all. Therefore, because he's gone, there's no condemnation to anything I'm doing. Because what's happening now are old habits from an old man that are being removed from me every day. Just like the children of Israel were getting Egypt taken out of them while they're in the wilderness, while we're walking around here right now, God is taking out of us the old habits. You're, you're recognizing them. You don't, you don't have to be told. You don't have to wait for somebody to come along and say to you, you know, Gordon, that was just like the old man. No, Gordon already knew that. He's not needing me to tell him. Matter of fact, we're not needing to tell each other. Now, sometimes we can be so caught up in the habits that we don't realize what we're doing. And that's when Galatians 6.1 says, If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, then you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Bring him back to good health. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. How could you be tempted? Because you're just like him. You're just like you're, what, what, what you just saw was your brother got captured by it. Is he condemned to going to hell for it? No. He was captured by something that he can stop and get rid of this thing. It doesn't have to go. Well, I better get finish up here. Just as I now identify with Christ because I'm in Christ, I once identified with the old man because I was in Adam. Therefore, I could say that I sinned, not the old man sinned, because I acted on his prompting. I could do, he could do nothing in me without my cooperation and personal responsibility. You, you follow that? The old man can't do anything in me except what I'm willing for him to do. The problem is I'm so willing for him to do it that it happens all the time. May I say, when, when I'm in Christ, the same thing is true. 
He's anxious to do things to me all the time. But I'm not always willing to cooperate and be responsible. You ever had a prompting to call somebody? A little voice from the Holy Spirit that says, you need to get in touch with somebody. There's so-and-so needs to hear from you. Follow it. Just follow it. Quit saying, well, when I, when I get a chance, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll pick it up. No, do it. I needed to go see Ron Smith. And I kept thinking, okay, well, it's, it's five hours down, five hours back. I don't that's 10 hours one day. Man, that's a lot of driving. I, you know, didn't do it. Now I can't see Ron Smith. Ron Smith's gone. Not in this realm anymore. You follow it? All right. Let's, let's go on just a little bit further here. Um, the old man is crucified and therefore dead or removed from influencing the spirit and soul, the personality, etc. By Christ's death on the cross, the deadly disease of the old man is removed from our lives and we are declared not guilty. We are justified before God. We are reconciled to Him. However... The habituated sin is still in our members, that is, in our bodies, ready to continue in the things which we have habitually learned. They are formed and secure in our flesh. So in other words, sin's dwelling in me. It's secure. Uh, it's, it's not afraid that it's going to be cast out right away. It knows it's secure in, in me. All right. They are formed secure in our flesh. Our minds continue to imagine them, desire them, and seek to live out the demands of the flesh. The body is the arena of his wickedness and unbelieving heart, its command center. With him removed from influencing the mind, the soul, the spirit, perceptions, emotions, no new sin can be generated. You're not in that realm anymore. You're not in the realm of sin. That's, that's something we, we haven't talked a great deal about, but you're not in. Once this guy's removed, you're not in that realm anymore. You now are moved from that, the sin of law, and the law of sin and death, and now you've been placed into the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is the new law you're working under. You worked under that one before. You're not working under that one anymore, so your behavior is not a big deal anymore. What you're called on to do now is do the right thing. You're not under condemnation. You're learning. All right. Uh, with our spirit, uh, let's see, with Christ's resurrection applied by the Holy Spirit to the spirit soul of the, of the believing one, the believer's spirit has been made alive unto God. He's born again. He's alive unto God. With our spirit soul who hosts our personality, self, ego, mind, will, emotions, desires, free of the cancer-like influence of the old man and recreated, that's regenerated by the Spirit of God, new choices, new viewpoints, new instruction, godly wisdom, and the mind of Christ are in full operation in the believer. The believer can now remove the ways of the old man by replacing the old habits of the old man with godly habits of the Holy Spirit and character traits of God in Christ, and he wants to because he's not simply slipping into heaven. He's going to be with Jesus, a, a special new kind of godly, holy people. What's that? Amen. Amen. Bearing fruit. So... That is the put off and put on. 
You rightly named that. That is the put off and put on. And that is, that's what he's given us. That is the tool he's given us in sanctification. You have the Spirit working with you. So if you'll just begin to work putting off the old man and really don't put so much emphasis on putting that off as you are putting this on. Because once you put this on, this won't be there to bother you. You follow where I'm coming from? So rather than focus on, I've got to quit, name the sin. I've got to quit doing that. I've got to quit doing that. Then I know that you're, you're looking at defeat because you can't beat that. But if you say, oh, you know, I started to think that I, I need to read uh, Galatians 2.20 again. And now focus on, I'm going to read Galatians 2.20. And when you're doing that, you're not focused on this anymore. The guy, back in college, the guy did to me this way, and he said, okay, I'll show you what put off and put on is. All right? Good. You ready? Yeah. Think of a pink elephant. A pink elephant? He said, yeah. I said, okay. All right, good. Stop thinking of a pink elephant. I can't stop thinking of a pink elephant. Okay, he said, let's try it this way. Think of the number eight. Okay. Is it black or red? Mine's green. Okay. Okay, is it a larger circle on top, a smaller circle on the bottom? Are they both the same size? Is yours like two S's stuck together? Or is it two circles? Once in a, and on and on he goes, just punish me with this description of this stupid number eight. And I'm just getting, he said, now stop thinking of the number eight. I said, I can't do that. It's right there. He said, all right, think of the number four. So I'm thinking of the number four. He said, all right, is it red, green, blue? What color is it? Oh, this one's just black. Okay. Was it, is it closed at the top and, or, or is yours open over the side? He goes through this description of this four, four, four. Then he looked at me and he said, are you thinking of number eight? No, I'm thinking of the number four. You follow me? Putting off and putting on. That's the plan he gave to us. So rather than focus yourself on putting off something, put on something. Make sure it's the one that God wanted you to put on. But you're going to have to reckon yourself dead to this rascal here that he killed. He removed him from you. It's gone from you. And what you have is this whole new life. Live in that realm. That's what Galatians 2.20 was about. So let's take a look at those verses, and we'll close out this way. I have been crucified with Christ. So the old man... Me, the one I identified, has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I. So that, that guy is not alive. But it's Christ that lives in me. So there's a whole new somebody that's living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, his faith, who loved me and gave himself for me. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified, he's done, kids, with him, that the body of sin might be done away. 
So God's not working with the sin thing. Let me say it this way. Children of Israel, they get out of Egypt. That's crucifying the old man. They cross the Red Sea, and they're in the desert. How much are they now affected by the old man? They're not, except by the memory of living in Egypt. Once they crossed that Red Sea, remember when they got to the other side, they turned around and looked, and what happened? All of the force of Egypt, the military might of Egypt, just got drowned. That ended it. They were removed from Egypt. They were dead to Egypt. Now, there's nothing but the wilderness and God on this side. So they are alive to God. Now, they got the memory of what it's like to live in Egypt, and it's going to take them a while to get used to a new way of life. And isn't God long-suffering the way he put up with them when they kept saying, it was better for us when we were in Egypt. There's not enough graves in Egypt. We had to come out here and die. We don't get leeks or onions anymore, just this tasteless manna stuff. As he listens to their complaints about not getting to be slaves anymore, they're learning a new life. And he's long-suffering with them. There are several times he said, Moses, just to the side. Move to the side. Let me show you what fire does. And Moses said, no, you kill them, kill me. You know, Jesus, they're in Moses. We're in Christ. All right? All right, so there's a couple of others here. Uh, but now it is no longer uh, I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's that habit thing. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So there's habits I've got to get rid of. For he who has died has been freed from sin. If you have died with Christ, what are you? Free from sin. That's what you're going to have to start reckoning to be true. Now watch this. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. All right? So you're supposed to be saying, I know I'm dead unto sin. That sin doesn't have any dominion over me anymore. But I'm alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness of sin. So if, if you've got trouble with um, uh, lust, then why turn on lusty programs on the TV? Don't do it. Because you know it's what you, you're already weak in that area. Turn the TV off. Watch something else. Do, do something else with your family. Um, but don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness sin. But watch what it says. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So that's what you're going to do. You're going to put off this old stuff and you're going to put on something new. And the best way to put off the old thing is to put on the new. Just put on the new. Um, you know, if, if you're having trouble with too much leisure time, go visit some people. I'm bound to be some people in our congregation who could stand some conversation, um, who could stand somebody coming and visit them. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
So the whole world's been crucified to me. It's dead to me. There's nothing in this world that is appealing to me. There's nothing in this world that I'm going to gain anything from. So the world's been crucified to me. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Quit letting the flesh be what guides us. It doesn't have to do that. We're, let it die. For you died and your life was hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, since it's true that the old man has done all those things, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So put that stuff to death. And a last one, one you don't have, but it's Colossians 2.14. This is what he says about us what Christ did for us, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He does not find you guilty anymore. Period. He has found you not guilty. He's found you in Christ, and that's what you're going to have to reckon. Does that, does that make sense? All right. Well, thank you for your patience. Let me work on all that out with you. I was, um, I was really sure this was going to be totally confusing. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, well, let's close in prayer. And anybody who would like to pray, we obviously have um, the Anson family to be praying for and the uh, um, Cushman family to be praying for. There's obviously big things there. But there are other people who have great needs too. They're just different from those. Let's look at the Lord in prayer. Anybody can pray that wants to. Father, we come before you this evening. We come with, with heavy hearts when we think about the situation, the, uh, what's, what's going on right now with the uh, Hansons and the Cushmans, Lord. We know that they're really struggling, Father, and uh, just having a difficult time with the homegoing of their, their little one. Father, we ask for your abundant grace and mercy to be theirs tonight. Lord, that you would show yourself as a God who loves them, who wants to comfort them. Father, for all the um, things that are going to be taking place here in the near future, plans and things that need to be done, Lord, we just, we lift that up, to, we lift all that up to you, Father, because we know that uh, you can, you can uh, you're, you're not a God of confusion, but Lord, lead them to doing the right things, taking the right steps, and what's going on. And so we just we just lift them up to you right now, and ask, and especially for David and Nicole, that you would just give them peace right now, that you would hold them close to yourself, Father. Wrap your loving arms around them, Father. We just uh, pray for your your uh, your mercy, just just to be there tonight, Father. Please, your abundant grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work that you've done so that we might have a relationship with you. We recognize, Lord, that uh, we spend a good deal of our time uh, living in Romans chapter 7, uh, struggling. Uh, as your 
bringing us into a better understanding of not only the, the struggles, but also the solutions. I pray that you would grant to us uh, the grace necessary to do what you told us to do, uh, to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God. Uh, Lord, that we may uh, exhibit that life as we submit ourselves to the Spirit and uh, become uh, the people that you call us to be. Father, we pray for our sister, Mercy. Uh, we thank you that she has been doing well. Pray as she's getting ready to have her last treatment, that you would strengthen her mind and body, and that you would grant to her grace as she deals with the side effects of these things for a little bit longer. And Lord, we look forward to seeing her back here with us. <coughs> we thank you for uh, safety on the road today and yesterday, and uh, for the good things that you do for uh, the children that you blessed us with and would ask for that you would continue to guide and direct each of them uh, into a deeper relationship with you as you do the same for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I bring to you our uh, <coughs> students as they return to school tomorrow. We ask that they would be prepared to learn and prepare them for the future that we have for them. Be with our uh, teachers in both schools, give them the preparation and the strength and the uh, knowledge to uh, continue on the school year, knowing that their work is not in vain. And uh, we just again uh, ask them to bless the Bless these children that they may grow to serve you, whether here in this church or another faithful church.
I also want to lift up those that uh, aren't here tonight for whatever reason and for those that are also dealing with other uh, health issues and give you praise for all in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for Julie Bachman that you would grant to the doctor's wisdom and grace that might be able to fix the situation that she finds herself in. Most of all, Lord, we ask that uh, they might be able to find a kidney for her uh, so that she wouldn't have to continue to go through this. Uh, Lord, we're not looking for or relief for the sake of relief, but uh, relief so that she might be able to uh, move on and uh, continue in her growth uh, to be the person you want her to be also. precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by his resurrected life by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll motivate our families to walk close with you this year to walk close with one another this year to have a great love Father to reach out to our community we ask in the name of Jesus that you would open up new avenues for us to share Jesus Christ and to serve to, to be uh, seen as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ to be known as that Thank you for the good things you have shared with us. Thank you for helping us understand the gospel even more every day. Thank you for giving us new life in the Lord Jesus Christ and giving us to each other and being able to share with one another in the, this, this great uh, Christian life that you have given to us. We do thank, Father, of the, uh, the Ansons, the Cushmans, as they go through this very painful time. Much time, much effort, much... Um, has gone into sparing that young lady's life. And Father, we ask just now that through the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll find comfort and peace. And I want to thank you for what you will do. I, I do thank you, Father, for Teresa Smith, and I ask in Jesus' name, you'll minister her great need tonight in the passing of her husband, Ron. I thank you, Father, for the way in which you work through both of them in their school system there that you uh, caused them to be a people that left a good mark on, a, on an educational system. And now I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, you'll grant that they might have the joy of knowing that faith invested in the Lord Jesus Christ pays off. I give you praise for that just now. I ask in the name of Jesus that you'll open new avenues for all the churches in this area to find themselves deeply engaged in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as we get closer and closer to his come, coming again. And I thank you for what you'll do there. I ask that you will work with Israel, Father, for their many situations they're facing right now. I ask that you'll bring them to faith in Christ. It looks like from your word, Father, you, you, there, that day is coming in which you're going to change their hearts. Please let that day be soon, Father. They're perishing. They've been perishing for centuries now. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, please bring them to faith in Christ. Let this whole thing be over soon, Father. And I want to thank you for what you'll do there. Bless in the schools that will uh, start tomorrow, Father. 
blessing the meetings that are going to take place this year as we seek to please you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for staying uh, this long to um, minister. It's good stuff.